So today on Vulnerable, I get the pleasure of speaking with Miss Holly Madison. Everybody knows her from The Girls Next Door as being one of Hugh Hefner's girlfriends. But she is so much more than that. And I'm very excited to get into it with her on Vulnerable today. I'm Christy Carlson Romano, and this is The Vulnerable Podcast. Holly, hi, how are you? Good, how are you doing? I mean, it's really exciting to see you in real time versus either on live or on TikTok. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like we're onto a, onto a different world here. I know. I mean, I've enjoyed seeing your content since day one, early on into my sort of making content there on that, I'll call it a community. And yeah. I feel like, honestly, we have a lot in common. Yeah, for sure. We were both accepted into LMU. That's for sure. Yeah, you went there? <laughs> no, I really wanted to. I really, really wanted to. It's such a pretty to. campus. It's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. And I, and I really, like, you don't understand. Like, I cried mm-hmm. when my parents were like, you got into a school back east. Like, consider that. We're back east, et cetera. And mm-hmm. I did. And I don't really know, you know, the roads that we go down, right? Yeah. We're both Disney adults. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Big part of my life. Um, and I always enjoy seeing your content on the Disney stuff and like the ghost stuff. And like, you have such an amazing personality that I'm just happy to have you on today and get to chat with you. This is so cool. Thank you. Thanks. So do you. I'm happy to be here. Yay. So um, I think we should start out by celebrating the fact that you have a podcast that's uh, out today. Yeah, it just launched today. It's called Girls Next Level. It's available Apple, Spotify, anywhere you get podcasts. I do it with Bridget, my co-star from Girls Next Door. It's a rewatch podcast, but we started with a bunch of prequel episodes because we live, we both lived at the mansion for like four years before the show Mm -hmm. started filming. So we have to kind of storytell our way through that. So everybody knows kind of where we were at mentally and emotionally by the time we start filming the show. It's kind of like essential backstory. So that's what we're starting with. So you lived at the mansion for four years before Girls Next Door started? Yeah, I did. I lived there as one of Hef's girlfriends, and they didn't start filming Mm -hmm. the show until 2005. Okay. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. And Mm -hmm. obviously, here on Vulnerable, we really like to start at the beginning, because there's just so much more to our lives than, like, what people know us as, or, like, you know? And it's like... Mm -hmm. For sure. I I find that, like, we go through so much that... And I feel like maybe we're the same in that, like, our brand is, like, a part of who we've been in our life, and Mm -hmm. we've accepted that. But there's, again, so much more to talk about that's joyous, and, like, you're a mom, and, like, there's such great things to talk about that I'm really excited to talk about that stuff. Me too. Let's start at the beginning, if you don't mind, if you have time and all that. Yeah, of course. (laughs) Okay, so you're from the Pacific Northwest, and you're a Cullen. Can we talk about the fact that you're... (laughs) Yes. No, isn't that funny? I totally feel like I came out of those books in a way. It's weird. And I changed my last name when I first moved to LA when I was 19. And part of that was just to like protect my family's privacy, but also because back before Twilight, nobody could pronounce my last name, which is strange to me because it's pronounced just the way it's spelled. Right. Everybody would always say Colin or Collins or Colin or how do you say that? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But yeah, I grew up um, in Alaska until I was 10 years old. And then I lived in the Pacific Northwest after that up until college. 
But but that's how the Cullen vampires went too. It's like they came yes. to the Pacific Northwest from Alaska. So it's I'm weird. Saying, wait a minute. <laughs> is really this bizarre. why you look so damn good? Come on. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah, it's a weird thing. I love that. That's so cool. <laughs> but is Cullen like um a Pacific Northwest last name? Like what is the last name? No, it wasn't common. It's like a Irish last name yeah. and okay. it's not it wasn't common there because like I said, nobody knew how to pronounce it. So Okay. Got it, got it, got it. So your your family's (laughs) Irish? What's your mom and dad like? They're great. They're just, you know, great parents. They're still together. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm actually not Irish. I always thought I was. And even back in the 2000s, I don't know if you remember this, but they used to sell these little baby teas and they would say things like, everybody loves an Italian girl. Uh-huh. Everybody oh my loves God. an yes. Irish girl. or Everybody loves yes. a Mexican girl. Do you I know those? exactly the one you're talking about. And I, I own the Italian girl. Yeah. And I had everyone loves an Irish girl and I would wear uh-huh. it on the show and I was so uh-huh. proud of it. But then, you know, it's the days of like DNA tests. So my dad takes the DNA test and he would always joke that he thought his mom had an affair just because he didn't look like his siblings. Like he was the only one with blonde hair and blue eyes. Ah. And, but then he took the DNA test right after that and finds out like the, where the name Cullen came from. Like I'm not even technically related to. So, so I'm not Irish, but I thought I was. I will tell you, I had a similar situation recently that really? I will not go into detail with, but yeah. like family members were produced out of thin air. Let's just put it that way. So yeah, I yeah, get that. It's insane what people are it's, finding out. It's crazy. I almost don't. It was not even me. It was somebody in my family that did that. So it's mm-hmm. like, I don't know if I want to do that. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. So, okay. So, but your parents are, what were their backgrounds? Like, what did they do? What were their occupations? How, what what um, brought you into the, you know, I know you have like a world. psychology <laughs> and theater degree, yeah. but like, what was it like growing up in Alaska and all that stuff? Alaska was really isolated. We lived on Prince of Wales Island. And if you ever watch any of those like off the grid Alaska shows, like a lot uh-huh. of them are filmed in part on Prince of Wales Island. So wow. I lived in a really, really small town when I was in elementary school, but even pre-elementary school, we would just live out in the middle of nowhere, like very off the grid with like very few okay. neighbors. But it was an amazing way to grow up. You know, I grew up in nature. I grew up using my imagination. I wasn't Mm -hmm. like on the video games all the time. So I really loved it. But it was also culture shock when I moved to Oregon because I felt like I couldn't relate to any of the other kids. Sure. And yeah. Yeah, it's been like 10 years and you're (laughs) out in the wilderness, like enjoying like the natural cycles of life. And then like... yeah. And then, like, you go into Oregon, it's, like, the big city. <laughs> exactly. I'm, like, what is volleyball? I don't know how to play it. And you're automatically, like, this weirdo outcast because you don't know what, like, the normal sports are. Right, like right. So did yeah. you feel kind of like a misfit for a while when you, like, at 10 years old? Or how did you sort of, like, come I think back I felt like a misfit my whole life. Like, I still yeah. do. <laughs> it's just, like, yeah, a constant me too. thing. I- but now I just identify with it. Yeah, you have to embrace it. There's enough yeah, there's sure. enough of us weirdos out there that we can actually like <laughs> exist and thrive. Yeah, well, I just love it how like through social media you can find so many other people that are just like you. Like mm-hmm. I'm very introverted and I feel like I see people on my for you page all the time that are talking about being introverts and things like that. But when yeah. I was a kid, it was kind of like if you were an introvert, like you weren't a good person. It was like you yes. had to be like Right? It's like people yes, felt it was like a you mark had to against be extroverted you. and stuff mm-hmm. yeah. to be a good person. Like, I remember getting yelled at by one of my teachers for being nonverbal. And I'm just, it's just like awareness wow. isn't wasn't what it is now. Yeah. I mean, the focus on mental health obviously wasn't there. I mean, mm-hmm. the traumas that, you know, 
we inevitably went through, especially in the entertainment industry, like, and just all of the the stuff that goes through there. I, I personally am trying to advocate for some change in that regard with child actors, but oh yeah, it goes across the board. You know, I mean, and even a little off topic here is that that they now have intimacy coordinators on certain sets. I think like Euphoria and like certain you know like a lot That's of sets. Smart. I think yeah, it's, I think it's more common now than mm-hmm. before. Mental health in general, though, overall is not a dirty, dirty word concept. Like, we can talk about mental health now more than before. Yeah, I love that. It's so amazing. Yeah. And I feel like TikTok's definitely opened up a lot of people's minds to it, to to that experience as well. I think so, too. So many people are just open about sharing, and it's so helpful to other people. Yeah, you're not a freak, like, for mm-hmm. having a feeling and a thought and an experience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Growing up in the 90s was not easy. I think most people, even if they were considered cool, still had a bully. Like everyone was bullied oh, by probably. somebody. Yeah, it was like a circle jerk of bullying. Like there yeah, was just it comes jerk from somewhere, even if you're like the cool kid. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Because they had a big sister that was just a dick to mm-hmm, them, you know? For sure. So when did you get cool? Because I thought you were so cool and I still think you're so cool. But Oh, like, you're so sweet. Thank you. What was high school like for you? Did you start to like come into you're just understanding your body or like, what was that like? Did that not happen then? I got a little more confidence because I made the cheerleading squad and I wasn't necessarily like the typical cheerleader. Like I was really into like, you know, grunge music and just dressing, you know, what everybody thought was weird. (laughs) You know, I didn't dress (laughs) like the other kids. So that was like a big deal back then. No one would care now, but Yeah. You know, and I felt like my senior year, there was a group of girls who really embraced me. And, you know, I felt like I really had a community by the time I was a senior, like last minute. So I got a little more confidence from that. But Mm -hmm. I I don't know. I don't I don't think I was ever really truly confident until recently. (gasps) Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I love that. I love that. And I want to get to that too, because I feel similar in that once I had kids, I mean, obviously the whole postpartum experience really Mm -hmm. throws you for a loop. True confidence is truly not giving a fuck. Yeah. (laughs) And it's not just like out of survival. It's more Mm -hmm. or less like, this is me. This is my, this is how I exist and take up space. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Big time. Okay. So then before LMU though, you went to, you went to school in Portland, right? Yeah, I went to Portland State University for two years before I transferred. And it was, it's an interesting campus. They don't have really, or when I went there, they didn't really have like a typical like college social life. It's a lot of older students, a lot of graduate students. Interesting. And it's right in the middle of the city. It's downtown. So, Mm -hmm. but it was perfect for me because I really just wanted to focus on getting good grades so I could transfer to a California school because my goal was to move to LA and I didn't have the money or the connections really to make it happen. So my way was through school. Got it. You don't have any siblings, right? I do. I have two younger siblings. Oh, yay. Okay. Yeah. Are they still up there in the, like, Pacific? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, my whole family's still, like, Oregon life. <laughs> I mean, I love it up there. Honestly, I do I do think there's something so magical about it up there. 
the Cullens up there. <laughs> yeah, it's very it. pretty. I love that you are a Cullen. You don't even know. I'm such I a twihard. No, that that's so like... weird. Yeah. <laughs> You're into Twilight too, though, aren't you? Or is it mostly Harry Potter? More Harry Potter, but I, I yeah. do have a fondness for Twilight. How okay, yeah, I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think our nerddoms somehow match up in some regards. So I have a friend actually who moved to Forks, Washington. And Stop I was it. like, you've got to be kidding. And she would send me like little photos and videos of like all the touristy twilight stuff they have there. And I really want to go visit. I think it would be so interesting. That sounds like a fun, either Halloween or a Valentine's, like a very goth, like Halloween or trip. Yes. Yes. I love Mm -hmm. that. Okay. So then LMU, had you been like saving up money or like because LMU is a private school and it's very expensive. It is. Yeah, I got scholarships. Like some of it okay. I paid, some of it was scholarships. And I didn't okay. end up staying very long. I dropped out because I was like, I want to pursue like show business and I have mm-hmm. to do that while I'm young. So I'm mm-hmm. just going to take a chance and do that. I can always go back to college. I got never it. ended up going back to college. Like I've gone to college. I've gone to school for other things. I went to school for real estate investment, but I didn't go back to finish my degree. But it's I mean, you're literally a New York Times best-selling author. So we can still accomplish so many goals yeah. like by even without college. I feel like that's a, people think that you need college, but it is really so expensive, isn't it? Like It really is. I feel like unless you're going for a specific profession, it's really a luxury. It's like if you can afford to be there while you're kind of figuring out what you want to do and learn a few things in the process, that's, it's a luxury because it's so expensive. I got my BFA and I got it over 12 years because I kept leaving leaving and coming back for work, Mm -hmm. professional work. And they, they allowed me to do all that. And it just, it took forever. But by the time I went back at like, how old was I? 26, 27. I really was ready to learn. So like for me, and I took everything past fail because I just wanted to like Mm -hmm. barrel through like a bunch of credits in one year. Yeah. And it was a safe place for me to be, you know, like out of LA's mm-hmm. like like creepy reach. And so <laughs> Yeah, I was, for sure. You know, like it was I was there and I was focused. And it's such a different experience though when you think of kids who are just going and trying to learn, you know, like the arts and stuff. So it it, it is a it's a big monetary commitment. So coming out of LMU though, that's when you started your relationship with the the mansion, right? Yeah, I was invited to some parties and I started going to the Sunday pool parties and those are smaller parties, the Sunday ones. So I kind of started to feel a little bit like I was part of that community. And Mm -hmm. then I ran into some trouble with my roommates and some financial issues and I needed Mm -hmm. a place to live and Ah. have had a spot open for one of his girlfriends. So I'm like, well, maybe I should give this a try. Interesting. And it, okay, and it so turned, in, turned into seven years. I thought it would. Be, I, I thought, and, I thought and, I'd be there for like a year max. <laughs> and so much more has it turned into as well. Yeah. But like, do you remember meeting Hef for the first time? What was that like? I do. I met him for the first time at the first party I was invited to, and I just went up to his table and said, "Thanks for inviting me." Mm-hmm. And he says hi to people all night long. So he's just mm-hmm. like kind of shaking hands, like, "Oh, you're welcome," you know. Yeah. But. He just seemed kind of vacant, I guess. I, I it didn't really it didn't really make much of an impression. I was just like saying hi to because you might as well and thanks for inviting yeah. me. <laughs> you were you were being nice. And also, I yeah. mean, to a certain degree you're there to network, you know. I mean, like if yeah. you're interested in the industry. I mean, because I remember my first Playboy mansion party. I'll never forget it. Which you know? one was it? It might have been like Midsummer Nights or something like yeah. that. Yeah. And now I mean, is the house even 
it's still there, but is it, did somebody purchase it? What happened? Yeah, somebody bought it. I don't know what his plans are with it, but they've been doing huge renovations. Like every once in a while, you'll see something on TMZ, like an aerial shot of like all the crazy renovations and like all the digging in the backyard. So let's just hope it's not Andrew Tate. (laughs) Oh God, I know. No, I know who it is. It's not him. man in the world. Yeah, no, it's not him. But yeah, I'm really curious to see what they do with the property. It's such a beautiful property. Yeah, no, absolutely. It is a beautiful property. I mean, you know, the, the stories that that place could tell, right? I know. Okay, so then you're there, you're living there. Obviously, you made some really good friendships. And I'm sure like you've been pretty open about the situation with Hef. And I'm sure mm-hmm. on your podcast, you're talking a lot more about that. What I like about Vulnerable is that we're more or less like a safer space for people to come and just chat. And I don't yeah. want you to feel as though like I'm going to grill you because <laughs> I don't want to. Oh yeah, to. no, I'm, I'm like, open to talking about anything. We've done a few podcasts for promo and just like releasing the first two. So I'm just feeling very anything goes right now. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay, so this is kind of a weird question. Uh-huh. I feel like you are a feminist in a lot of ways. Yeah. If we had gone back into the early 2000s and people would have asked us that, we would have been we would have been tasked with being like, "No, no. We have to slut shame Holly Madison because yeah. of what she does for a living and how she's mm-hmm. choosing to show her body off." Yeah. But it's almost like you were at the forefront of body positivity without it being acceptable. Yeah, times were so different back then. It's interesting because throughout the years, you know, going through different phases of my life, I notice what kinds of haters I have. Like I try to stay away from the hate, but it will find you on social media. And in the beginning, when I first got into the public eye on Girls Next Door, my haters were almost all women. It was just, I think women had the attitude back then that if you were using your body or your sexual appeal or anything to make money, that you were somehow like cheating at life and like making it worse for everybody else when really you're not affecting anybody else. But I think that was kind of the feeling, you know? Yeah, that's super accurate. Back then, it was either you had bleach blonde hair or you had like jet black hair. You remember that mm-hmm. whole phase? It's like the <laughs> it's whole like, like MySpace aesthetic. Yes. And like like suicide, what were they called? Suicide girls? And like, yeah. it was like they were the anti-bunnies. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's totally how the style was. So I have a question for you then. Uh Uh-huh. Would you consider the work that you did, were you contracted for that or to be his girlfriend? Or was that sort of something like, how did that work exactly? Oh, definitely not contracted. And the interesting thing about it is when I observed the situation just as like a party guest, I didn't really know a lot of the details. Like I figured he probably had sex with them, maybe, but kind of public perception it kind of went both ways. It's like, yeah, I remember it was like, does he or doesn't he? Cause he's been old forever. <laughs> yeah. Like Bridget was talking about it the other day, how when she would do press back then, if she said, no, we don't have sex with him. People would say, no, there's no way you guys are living there and not blah, blah, blah. And yeah. if she would say, yeah, we do have sex with him. They'd be like, no, no way. He's 75. There's no way you could keep up with all <laughs> those true. girls. So true. you didn't really know. And you didn't really know how much of it was like a genuine relationship. I mean, even just as a party guest, I kind of saw a lot of turnover over like the year I was going to parties amongst his Ah. girlfriends. So I didn't think it was like ever a deep relationship, Mm -hmm. but I always thought he had respect for the women just from based on what I was seeing as a guest. I always thought he had respect for the women and that they remained friends after they left. So I thought it was more of like a friends with 
benefits slash publicity mm-hmm. because his thing back then was having seven girlfriends. That was, he would always show up to events with like seven women on his arm and that was the right. thing. Right. So I can see how a lot of people would look at it and be like, oh, okay, well, that was a total publicity thing. You must have been paid. There must have been some kind of contract, but there wasn't. And not only that, but like you didn't truly know what you were getting into before you did because no one would ever really explain the rules to you or how it went down. Like I moved into the mansion after like my first night out with them and Mm You know, I would ask the girls like, oh, what's the schedule? Like, what do we do? And, you know, they would tell you little bits and pieces here and there. But I think when people imagine my experience at the mansion, they picture that scene in the Fifty Shades of Grey movie where she sits down at the boardroom table and she's given this contract on what she consents to and what she doesn't. And this is what's Mm going to happen. And Mm -hmm. it's nothing like that at all. We didn't even have a contract to be on the TV show until our last season. So we went four seasons without even having a contract. We just signed like a basic release. Oh, a release? Oh mm-hmm. no! That's it. Did you get Did you get paid for the appearances on the show? Not at first. The first okay. set of episodes they ordered was eight episodes for season one, and after that was right. a hit. They added more, so it was like a total of sixteen, or I forget how many. Yeah. But for those first episode, eight episodes, we weren't paid. And wow. considering the fact that we were the three main characters of the show, that's really weird. Like, don't get me yeah. wrong. I'm not delusional. I don't think I was some big star with bargaining power. But you want at least, like, the minimum industry standard. And instead, we were treated very much like children, kind of in the way, like, a YouTube family might put their kids on YouTube. Because it's oh, like, oh, no. we live here. It's that kind of a thing. You were just kind of expected to do it. Well, that's not true at all. Because I'll tell you from the outsider's perspective is that that was your show. You guys wore the secret sauce of that entire entire show you desire you you definitely deserve like retroactive like benefits from SAG (laughs) in my opinion but you know somebody mentioned to me too like you were at the forefront of reality tv Mm -hmm. you were in the beginning stages of you know I don't was Kardashians on the same time or was it like still Paris Hilton and like that whole time frame Kardashians and us overlapped by a few years, but kind of the big reality shows that came out before us were like contest shows like Survivor or the Osbournes was really huge and The Simple Life and the Anna Mm -hmm. Nicole show, which was already done by the time we were on. But those were the only kinds of frames of reference I had. And I remember at the time being so nervous to do a reality show because when I said I wanted to be in show business, I thought either like glamour modeling or acting. I never Mm -hmm. thought reality TV. So I was super scared to do it. And, you know, back then, another show that was out was like The Surreal Life. Do you remember that show? And they have like, they'd catch like Vern Troyer drunk and naked on a scooter and he's peeing and then he's masturbating in the bed. It was that kind of stuff I was scared of. I'm like, these shows are like humiliation rituals. Like they're just trying to catch us doing the wrong thing. So I was super scared and paranoid. And I can rewatch the show now and have like a lot of complaints about how it was portrayed. But back then, especially in the first season, I just kind of accepted it because I was scared it was going to be so much worse. I was just like, Mm -hmm. okay, as long as it's not super humiliating, I'm fine. You and know? it's funny because from the outsider's perspective, and this is just in my opinion as a fan and supporter, I always thought you were <laughs> the classy one who actually really liked Hef. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> no, I guy. did. I did really like Hef. I definitely like cared had for his, him. Yeah, and I had his back a hundred percent when I was with him. Yeah, you know, looking back, I see all kinds of things in the relationship I didn't see back then, but mm-hmm. for sure, I did at the time. Yeah, and so basically through this process and there's obviously so many details so much experience after that many years living mm-hmm. with a person i mean it's basically like marriage it's like um kind of like sister wives kind of <laughs> yeah that's what it reminds me of for sure 
And I'm sure with that, there must come sort of a, a philosophy that sort of only exists within the house structure. Yeah, so, I think that's why it was so easy for me to overlook red flags and bad behavior in the relationship is because obviously I knew getting into that situation that this is a really unique situation. Right. You know, it's it in so many ways that nothing's going to be as expected. But mm-hmm. when I started encountering things that are very real red flags in like a narcissistic, verbally abusive, emotionally abusive relationship... I would overlook those because I was just so, you know, the situation was just so weird. Like I'm dealing with someone so much older than me who's so much more famous and has so much more money. And then it's like this weird like thing where he has other girlfriends. So it's like you're dealing with all that. And it's almost like the things that really chip away at you emotionally, those almost got more overlooked and like pushed under the rug at the time just because the whole situation was so weird. If that makes, I don't know if I'm explaining that well, but I think it makes perfect sense. I mean, the whole thing of him being famous and rich didn't really probably even matter to you. It it, it mattered to everyone else and probably was a more of a bargaining tactic to like control you guys or you, you know, like, cause what does that mean? It's your, you, I feel like this is so interesting because by the time of the show, like you are, you three are the iconic that history will remember as his girlfriends, <laughs> not yeah. the other seven <laughs> rounds of whoever was in and out. Yeah, it's crazy. What does that mean to you in terms of it being sort of a part of your legacy? Is it something you, you're proud of in looking back? Um, I'm proud of like what I learned from it. And I'm proud Mm -hmm. of the fact that I was able to have some good times amongst the bad times and that I was able to turn it into positive things for myself afterward. Yeah. As much as I might want to complain about certain things, like even when I was younger, like I knew I never wanted to have an ordinary life. Yeah. So at least (laughs) I got that, (laughs) you know, I always wanted to like experience different things. As far as like it being a part of my legacy, like there's so many times since I left where I would go for a period of years where I refused to talk about it or wouldn't yeah. reference it in any way because I really wanted to just get away from it and be sure. known in some other way. But it was completely impossible for me mm-hmm. to do. Like it didn't matter if I was out promoting my own TV show or if I was out promoting my own live show. It didn't matter what it was. The questions mm-hmm. always come back to the Playboy stuff. So I eventually just gave up on that and I just, I'm just like, I might as well like <laughs> lean into it and talk about my experience, especially if talking about relationship dynamics can be helpful to other Absolutely. people. So now I really enjoy it. Not that it's not stressful or traumatic sometimes to go back to it. Sometimes it yeah. is, but overall I enjoy it. Yeah. So that's really good that you can still sort of derive enjoyment from that. I mean, I... I can understand that insofar that I was a child actor with Disney Mm -hmm. and I can't get away from the fact that people know me from when I was a teenager working with Disney. Yeah, you'd have to go into the witness protection program to (laughs) to reconstruct my face. (laughs) And then they'd still hear my voice. Everything, yeah. And they'd be like, You're that cartoon character. So Mm -hmm. it's just one of those things where you do end up being like, okay, I have to I have to accept this part of my life as, yeah. you know, and what can I do to make, you know, the positive come out of it. So, and then in terms of the your personal life, in terms of healing, mm-hmm. when you met your partner, I mean, what was that like finally finding somebody that you could actually have a life with? 
Well, after I left the mansion, I was single for a few years, and then I was yeah. married for five years. I have a boyfriend okay. now that I've been with for three years. Okay. And I'm not going to lie. It wasn't always easy with dating and stuff because I would have guys who, because you know I was still doing TV shows and things like yeah. that, they would be attracted to me or want to date me because of that or like to you know, have another notch on their belt or whatever. Gross. But, but then like they wouldn't, they would always say things like they wouldn't want to be with a girl who had been in Playboy. I'm like, well, well why did you date me in the first place? Like, you know, yeah. things like that. <laughs> so it's not always easy because sometimes when you come across insecure guys, they will really have a problem with your past, even though they knew everything about it going into yeah. the relationship. So that was kind of tricky, but I think it just comes down to meeting somebody who's more mature than that and somebody who's not insecure and not threatened by that kind of thing and understands it because maybe they've been through some similar things, even if it's just like being on TV or having to deal with random haters and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, uh, dating in LA is the worst. Am I right? (laughs) It is. And also like I was in Vegas a lot too, and that's not any better. (laughs) I wonder if people say that about every city though. I've always wondered that. Yeah. A lot of people say that every city sucks for dating, but yeah. I think Denver was actually voted like the best place to be single, I think. Oh, interesting. Which is really interesting to me. And I'm like, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was just curious, is there any city that where the women don't say that? <laughs> yeah, I know. And some women and women even say that New York City is the worst too mm-hmm. for dating. And it's like, but LA, I'm gonna say, and Vegas, I'd say would take the cake of being the worst places to date. <laughs> Next yeah. to maybe Utah. <laughs> yeah, LA is just crazy interesting. And then in Vegas, you just get a lot of nightlife people who just right. wanna be, you know. Yeah. Messing around the, in the scene. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, there's probably a big swinger scene, I'm sure. And <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> that's going to be a different lifestyle. Yeah. So, can we talk about becoming a mom? Because that's yeah. Really yeah. No, it was my dream to have kids. It was one of the main reasons I ended up leaving the mansion. Mm-hmm. And it happened at just the right time. I really feel like my ex husband and I met because we were meant to have those kids, and he's a sure. great dad, and Aww. they're amazing. And it's just, like this dream part of my life that I have no complaints about. And it's like almost everything is so good and goes so smoothly. I like don't even want to jinx it. And I'm really private with my kids. Like they're not, I don't show their faces on social media. I used to when they were babies, I would post pictures all the time. But once they got to the age where they're like in preschool and they're kind of like out in the world a little bit more, I'm like, yeah, I don't think I want anybody like being able to recognize them. There's just too many creeps out there. I feel you, man. Yeah. And I just want like their privacy to be their own choice. I I originally, I started to do that with my kids Mm -hmm. and then I realized that exact thing and they're in preschool now. And I'm like, yeah, no, this isn't, this isn't their life. Like, yeah, this is my life, Mm -hmm. but I can't make this choice for them. Yeah. And it's just, I don't even want them, even if they're not aware of it because they're not on social media, I don't even want like their image exposed to that bad energy that exists out there. And you know, what's crazy. Like I go so far out of my way to keep them out of the public eye. And not Mm -hmm. long ago, one of the weekly tabloid magazines published a picture of me and my kids, which was Mm -hmm. taken. I was completely unaware of it. It must've been somebody with an iPhone taking the picture And it made me so mad because they got this picture when we were at a cemetery visiting their grandmother's grave. And I'm like, you guys have no fucking chill. No. 
Like, I, yeah. I feel like it should be illegal to publish a picture of a minor without their parents' permission. I just think 100%. it's really messed up. It's putting 100%. them in, possibly in the way of danger. Like, they don't know what kind of creeps I have to deal with online. Oh, I 100%. And I know that, like, Jennifer uh, Garner and Blake mm-hmm. Lively, they're all trying to do stuff that's going to sort of make that illegal, that paparazzi can't take pictures of your kids. So Yeah, I hope I hope they do. I'm sorry that that happened. That's really Thanks. Not- yeah, it, it just, it makes you feel so out of control because I try so hard to keep them private and I'm just like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, the <laughs> picture was taken, I didn't even know. Yeah. Do you, do you ever feel like you just want to kick the shit out of people? Like, do you ever get angry? Because like, you're so sweet. <laughs> Thanks. No, I do sometimes. I do. Like, not long ago, I had like a paparazzi like follow me to my house and it was really creepy. So I went up to his car and like flipped him off and probably would have yelled at him if he hadn't driven away. It's Yeah. And it's you, that's not your like natural state. I mean, you're a pretty elevated human being. You're pretty chill. <laughs> Thanks. And it's just dumb. It was happening during a time where I wasn't even like out promoting anything. Like if I ran into right. a photographer today, I'd be like, okay, well, I've been promoting this podcast, fair game, mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, not that I think my kids should ever be photographed. But this was happening like during the pandemic and I like wasn't like relevant in any way or doing anything or like promoting yeah. anything. I'm like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> yeah. Like, why are you chilling? Yeah. Because yeah. is that really even a paparazzi or is it just like you don't know if Ugh, it's an official person? Creepy. Yeah. Yeah. But no, we'll knock on wood. And also we're just going to say that you know how to judo chop somebody in the throat and yeah. <laughs> don't take your chances with Holly if you're listening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I feel you on so many levels and I'm just curious about in terms of like goal setting and like you've been able to accomplish these two amazing books and Thanks. if you guys haven't, you know, read them, please do. Down the Rabbit Hole made you a, a, a New York Times bestseller. Yeah, I was so excited. What was that like to, to like share your experience and then have it validated in that way? It was really amazing. I couldn't believe it because my goal was just to make the bestseller list. Like I never knew it would be number one or that it would sit there for a while, you know? So that was Mm -hmm. so exciting and overwhelming. It was a really stressful week of doing press just because Mm -hmm. when the book came out, I got a lot of backlash for it. Mm -hmm. But I'm grateful for the whole experience because it made it as successful as it was and got the story out. Right. I mean, you have to, you have to, like you said, like when you're out promoting something, you have to find ways of getting it out there. And yeah, absolutely. I'm currently trying to figure out a, a memoir, like book proposal, mm-hmm. and I'm very scared of doing it. And it's like, you know, it's like your life, it's your trauma, yeah. it's like what you want to share with the world. But then you know mm-hmm. that you have to go into that and give your consent to promoting that trauma in some way. <laughs> yeah. And that can be really stressful, especially when it's like a week of like, just press from dawn till dusk and like yeah, you're was in like a different to do time X zone with so-and-so. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, oh, and they're asking you just the craziest questions, like the ones you don't want to answer. <laughs> yeah, they have to, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's just so annoying. I mean, and you know, certain ones, like when I Google your name or something and like, I'm like, Google my guests before we come on to talk just to make yeah. sure that there's no like immediate headline that pops out that I need mm-hmm. to make sure or be aware of. But since you've been promoting, like New York Post comes up with something like something, yeah. something in an orgy room or something. It's like, yeah, come on. exactly. Like, get out of <laughs> Yeah, that's always the hard thing about it is I don't mind sharing these stories, but I love it when people listen to the whole context. Like when they listen to the whole podcast or read the whole book, it's always so embarrassing. And like, you need the publicity to get people to the product anyway. 
But it's so frustrating when they'll take like a sentence and just make it the clickbait headline. And in that context, yeah. it seems so gross. And it makes it sound like I just went to Times Square and started screaming about my sex life. Like that's what I was <laughs> picture when I see like a, a headline like that. It's just out of context. It's so tacky, but. It doesn't feel good, I bet. I mean, yeah. so then I'll ask you sort of like a more more direct question. Mm -hmm. And we can cut this out or if you don't feel like, you know. Just, I'm curious, do you feel like what you did at your time with the mansion and with half was, would be considered sex work? I think in some people's mind, in my mind, it wasn't because I okay. liked him and I ah. felt like I knew him and that was somebody that I had a lot of admiration for. Okay. But it's also, I mean, it wasn't something I genuinely liked and that I was never into like group sex or I was never comfortable with that. Sure. And I was doing it for economic reasons because I didn't have anywhere to live. So okay. I think I never felt like it was just because it, it went outside of my comfort zone in some ways, but not in others. But okay. I was very aware that everyone else wanted to point the finger and categorize it as that. And I feel like ah. sex workers shouldn't be judged, but the sad fact is they are, and they were judged even worse back then. So mm -hmm. I was very, very aware that everybody really wanted to put me in that category and put me in a category in a negative way. So That's I had to deal with, I had to deal with, you know, that side of it. Yeah. How do you deal <laughs> with haters? Because it seems like you're really good at dealing with them. So how do you deal with them? Just block them? Yeah, I mean, I definitely block them on my pages. I just have a zero mm -hmm. tolerance for even the tiniest thing. I just block and I yeah. don't go It's so empowering. Yeah. It's like, fuck you, fuck you, yeah. fuck you. <laughs> and I don't go searching for it. And mm. I think just over the course of like 15 years of being in the public eye, I finally got to a point where I can just brush it off. But it wasn't always that way. Like I remember when Girls Next Door first came out, they used to have message boards on the e-network webpage like and yeah. they were mm -hmm. so brutal and I came across them at one point and they were so bad this was when maybe like the third episode had aired and they were so yeah. bad I never went back but it affected me especially because back then internet hate was kind of new and you never it really was. heard like celebrities talk about it before so I didn't right. realize it happened to everybody I thought it was just the three of us and oh. it was just the worst feeling Oh, that's horrible. Yeah. <laughs> that is really bad. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting how like that exposure therapy almost by the t by mm -hmm. now, it's like, it's just everywhere and you just have to expect it. So then question. So now I, I, I'm pretty sure you have an OnlyFans. Yeah. Okay. How does that work? Do you like it? I like Should I it. Do it? <laughs> I'm not like super enthused about it right now just because I've been really focused on the podcast, but I yeah. don't post nudes or anything. It's just like bikini and lingerie photos. I'm just having fun. Yeah, but I'm really grateful I did it just because, you know, I'm 43 years old and it kind of gave me an excuse to take pictures that I think are sexy again yes. and that make me feel good. And I'm glad that I'm doing that while I feel like I still can. I mean, you still can at any age, but I'm glad I'm doing it. You're a it Cullen, okay? Now. You're going to be able to, you're going to age backwards. <laughs> yeah. 
So I'm really um, grateful for the experience because of that. I feel like it's helped with my confidence a lot and I have yeah. all these pictures that I love. I don't know how long I'll keep up with it just because I'm getting busy with other things and I'm kind of like, okay, I've been doing this for two years now. I'm running out of photo shoot ideas. So we'll see. Is it, but. but let me ask you this. Is it as profitable as people say? Well, for me, I'm not doing nude content, so it would probably be a lot more profitable if I was, but it's a good okay. side hustle. I will tell you that. Okay, good. That's interesting. Yeah. I'm just really I interested. Mean, These are yeah, questions like I advice, don't know. Yeah, advice I would give to people out there if they're thinking about starting an OnlyFans, um, consider the type of content you want to do and also consider the fact that if you don't already have some kind of a following on social media, it might be difficult to get a following on OnlyFans because it's easy to see all these people come on and be like, oh my God, I made a million dollars in a month. Right. But those are people who already have huge followings. Right. So if nudity or um, any kind of like on-camera sex work is something that might be out of your comfort zone, I wouldn't go into it lightly just because you're not guaranteed that you're going to do well necessarily. You yeah. kind of have to. I mean, for me, it's a nice little side hustle, but I already have like a following online. Yeah, you've you have like the TikTok, and then you also have you've had your website and your blog and like your show. I mean, yeah, yeah it's very different for somebody I don't know who's how like, easy. Yeah, I don't know how easy it would be to build if you don't already have like a social media following. I actually met a mom who's a body positive, beautiful mm -hmm. woman. She's like, I have the, you know the biggest set of natural breasts in Texas, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. But I didn't know that. I met her at an event and uh, we chatted about her cute shoes. And and then she's like, oh, hey, like, you know, uh, here's my Instagram. I, I asked her, I was like, can I have your mm -hmm. Instagram? Like, let's set up a play date or something. And then she turns out she lives in my neighborhood and I'm always up for like fun mom friends, you know, uh -huh. like I want good, good vibes. And so I find out, I'm like, oh my, she has an OnlyFans. And she's like, this is like her whole thing. And I've been wanting to hang out with her and just support her because it's got to be really hard to be like a mom and then to also have this side of you. I feel like that sometimes too, even with the pictures I take, mm -hmm. you know, that have to look kind of cute and fresh and young. And it's like, you have to live in these two worlds of femininity. Yeah, absolutely. And it's hard to find time sometimes to even put makeup on depending on how old your kids are and yes. how many kids you have. So, yes, Holly, yeah. yes. <laughs> I put makeup on to see you today. That's why. Yeah. I, I mean, there were a couple years where I was looking pretty rough just because my kids were young and, you know, they weren't ever at school during the day and things like that. Yes. A hundred percent. How old are your kids now? Oh, wait, we shouldn't talk about them. We don't need to talk about them. Oh, I, don't, okay. I don't mind about age because people could look that up, but they're nine and okay. six. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's good. Yeah. Okay. So I'm over here at five and three. So I'm in oh, like- Oh, that's awesome. I'm in the weeds. Yeah, um, for sure. Especially yeah. with the eight-year-old. <laughs> yes, yes, especially with the three-year-old with the potty Once they're training. they're both in school, so, it'll get a little bit easier. They are. They're, so they're both in school, thank Oh, God. they're both in school. Okay, um, so preschool. Yes, and and but it's also making it hard to, like, travel for work and, like, you know, I want to just be yeah. with them because you know the time goes by fast. And like Absolutely. Said, like, Absolutely. Like, career-wise, I'm just kind of going with the flow right now because I'm divorced, so I have joint custody with my kids. But when I am with my kids, I want to be completely present. Totally. So... Because you know that I time do, goes by. It does go yeah. by so fast. And anything yeah. I do would have to fit into that schedule. It has to be something I can do on my own time, et cetera. And that's why podcasts are amazing. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> can we please talk about the podcast then? So it's out now. Where can we find mm -hmm. it? All that. It's on Apple, Spotify, anywhere you get podcasts. And mm -hmm. 
so far, it seems like people are really liking it. We just dropped the first one the day we're recording this podcast. I just dropped our podcast midnight last night and the response has been really amazing and overwhelming so far. So I'm, I'm excited to see what happens for you in terms of the community of support that's going to back you this time around because a lot of the people that may have had issues with it the first time around have probably shed those, you know, and I think like you were always there for the right reasons and that's going to come out now and I will be listening to it. I'm really excited. Thanks. So we can find you there. Obviously you have an an OF as we call Mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Or you have an amazing TikTok as well. That's super fun. And I love to get to know you there. Is there anywhere else? Is there cameo? Is there like other stuff that we can find? Um, I have a YouTube channel. It's just Holly Madison channel. So, and all my links are in my Instagram bio. So you can find me there at Holly Madison. There you go. Well, to Holly, thank you very much for chatting today. I don't want to thank keep you, you so for too, much. too long. But don't honestly, worry. I love you. And I love I'm you too. Huge, thank you. Huge supporter. Thank you for coming on. Thank you. Vulnerable is hosted by me, Christy Carlson Romano, produced by Elizabeth Joy Windham and executive produced by Brendan Rooney. Our sound engineer and editor is Elizabeth Joy Windham, and our video editor is Eduardo Gamba. Follow Vulnerable wherever you listen to podcasts so you can join me every week for a vulnerable conversation. And be sure to follow Vulnerable on Instagram and TikTok at The Vulnerable Podcast. And make sure to tune in to my YouTube to watch the video version. 